So quick commercial before we get started. Uh, next Sunday, we're having baptisms. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're out of junior high, which might have been the toughest six years of your life, uh, but we'd love to have you get baptized uh, here at Mountain View Sunnyside. Uh, we believe it's every Christian's job to get baptized. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what we want to see happen right up on this stage. Uh, we hear stories about people, about how God has impacted their lives, and then get baptized after second service. Uh, my phone number is on the screen. Go ahead and call me or text me uh, today, and we'll get you locked and loaded for baptism next Sunday, and it will be amazing. So uh, we're continuing our, our journey through the book of Exodus. We're joining the story because Exodus is our story. And as God pulls uh, people into freedom and out of slavery, that's what he's doing for us. He's pulling us out of our slavery and into the freedom that he has for us. Uh, Exodus 20 verse 1 is where we're going to be today. You can go there in your Bible or in your app uh, right now. So if you've been here for any length of time or if this is your first time, what you're going to experience over the next 20 minutes uh, is that I am a fast-paced guy. That's the way that that I do life. Uh, I talk fast. I talk loud. I am always doing something. Uh, even if it's just sitting watching uh, football, I am actively doing that and pace and don't usually sit down during games because my team is bad this year, so you have to be nervous. But uh, you would think that if I am crazy and high-paced and all that stuff that I probably have a wife who's calm and never does anything. And that's the exact opposite. Like our whole family is redlining. We are all loud. We are all active. That is just the way that we are. So a few weeks ago, it's a Wednesday. She's at church because she's leading her, Wednesday, or her mom's group that meets Wednesdays at 945 at Mountain View Main Campus. Uh, and she had had a stressful meeting that morning. I knew about it. I had left early to do some stuff with probably some of you. Uh, and then we like saw each other at church, literally passing. And so she's talking with one of the ladies in her mom's group. She's making coffee. I've got to go to the other end of the building to do something. And so I walk past her really quickly and just say, hey, how was your day? Without stopping. And so she, without stopping making coffee, she's replying to me, okay, it was good. She just tells me it was good, and then I keep walking. Like, that is the intent of our conversation, like a second and a half of me saying, how was that meeting? Were you stressed? Are you doing okay? And she responding to me, I am good. Thank you for asking. But because of who we are, because of the rules of our relationship, I'm not going to stop and have her stop making coffee and explain the whole thing to me. That's what we do at home after the kids are in bed. But within us, I can say, hey, how are you doing? She knows that I'm wanting to know more, and she says, I'm good. Like, okay, we're good for now. She'll explain more later. And one of the people who's there in her group watching her make coffee and do everything very actively and everything, she says, is that how you guys always talk? Like, is this part of your relationship? Is this, like, normal for you guys? And Anna says, yes, all the time. Uh, and that's how it is for us during the day before the kids go to bed. Like, that is part of our relationship is we're not going to have time where we just look at each other and talk slowly. That happens later on uh, after the kids are asleep and subdued in their bed, especially for the three-year-old. But that, that's part of us. That's how, to, how we relate to each other. What we're going to look at today in the book of Exodus is part of the way that God relates to his people. What we looked at last week was the rules that God gives his people for relating to each other. And what we're going to look at today is the way that God says, hey, based on our relationship, this is how you and I are going to work. Based on our relationship, sometimes we have really short conversations during the day that are followed up by longer conversations later. And so what God is saying is as you're going to work with me, as we're going to live together, this is the way that it's going to be. And we hear that, and right away we think, that does not sound like a God that I want anything to do with. He's going to show up at my door one morning, pound, I'm going to open it, and he's going to say, this is how you live now. Because commands minus context equals religion. Because some of you have come here this morning thinking that God is 
constantly upset with you, that you did not measure up somewhere, that how you got here in life is, is a series of failures, and God is here today to make you feel bad about those. And that's not the God that we believe in. That's not the God that we look to. That's the way that we see so many other things in life work because without a relationship, without a context, things are just going to be rules. So, for example, you drive here and you leave the parking lot and you go 65 miles an hour north on Peach. You're going to have an interaction with somebody who cares a lot about rules and drives a car that is black and white. Even if you know the guy, you're still breaking the rules. So what God is going to do and what we're going to look at today in Exodus 20, uh, verse 1 to 11, you can go there in the Bible or your app now, is he going to say, this is how I want you to live. I'm going to give you commands, but I'm giving all of these commands under the context of our relationship. He starts out, Exodus 20, verse 1, it says this. He says, then God gave the people all these instructions. This is probably what you're used to if you don't know God. You think that God is just going to give you instructions all day long, and you will never measure up, and you'll go to bed tired every single day, and you'll have tons of regrets in life. But there's a verse 2. And God says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. So before you you hang your head in sorrow and defeat and say that I'm never going to measure up, God reminds us first and foremost that he agrees with us in the best possible way. You have not measured up. I have not measured up. Every single person with a pulse is born into slavery to sin. And what Jesus comes is Jesus, what Jesus does is he comes into our life, pulls us out of our slavery, pulls us out of our darkness into relationship. That's the story of the book of Exodus. Where we've come from so far is that God's people, Israel, are born into 400 years of slavery in the nation of Egypt. God hears their cries for deliverance. God decides, I'm going to act now. And he takes a guy named Moses. And Moses is the most reluctant hero in the history of the world. And after pleading with God, no, 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 Moses finally relents and says, okay, yes, I will be your vessel. I'll be your vessel to go speak before Pharaoh, be the person that you work through to bring your people out of slavery. And so God uses a man named Moses to be the the vessel through whom God's power is unleashed upon the nation of Egypt to literally walk his former slave people out of their captivity and into their freedom. God says, I'm going to show you how amazingly powerful and amazingly loving I am by taking you from slaves and bringing you into freedom, not for anything that you've done, but for everything that I've done for you because I'm a good, loving, perfect God. And out of that, I'm going to show you how you relate, how we're going to do this thing, how it's going to be okay for us to be really short sentences during the day and longer conversations later. This is going to be how we work. God's leading his people in the rules for their relationships. We call them the Ten Commandments, but for this, it's the rules for the relationships, and this is what God says. There are four of them that we're going to look at today, and the first one is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. He says, you must not have any other God but me. God's reminding them of who they used to be and who he's been in their lives for them. He says that you used to be slaves, you used to be total, totally held captive, you had no rights, you had no authority to do anything, but what I did is I came in and met you at your worst, and met you at your emptiness, and met you at your most enslavement, and I led you out because I'm the God who loves you. I'm the God who took on your slavery and who walked you out of it. He's reminding them in the Passover that they didn't free themselves. I freed you is what he said. So he says, first off, foremost, he says, I am who I am. 
I'm the God who loves you, and because of this, you will never have any other God before me. God is reminding them of what he's done to earn this place. The reason that he says that, that, he can, that we can't have any other God before him is because he knows that in all of us, there does, there's a desire to worship things other than God. A, ch- a couple chapters after this where God gives the commandments, there's a situation where the Israelites are waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain where he met with God, and, and they're stranded. It feels like they're just not doing anything in the wilderness, and so they take all their earrings, and they take them to Moses' vice president, basically. It's a guy named Aaron, who's his brother. He says, melt them down, and then make it into the form of a calf so that we have something that we can see that we can worship. And God's saying that type of lifestyle isn't going to cut it with me, not because I want you to feel bad for the things that you've done, but because this isn't how we're going to do life. I've got more for you. I am who I am. I am your God, and you're going to treat me that way, not because you need to honor, give me what's due to me, but because it's going to make your life better, and I'm going to make you better at life. And if we're Christians, and if we're honest for a second, we look at everything that Jesus has done for us, And we see his call to honor him with everything. And we say, yes, that is more than acceptable. Because God found me as a slave. God found me as a sinner. And he gave his own life for me so that I could have a relationship with God. So I can move from being a slave to a son of God, to being a daughter of God. And be walked into that relationship with him. And I think this is great because in our life, there are so many things that tell us that we are the center. That when God says that you're not the center of everything I am, We see a world that says, you know what, you can do God on your own terms because you are the absolute top of your authority. And what it means when when we ask God to come into your life and we say that he's going to be number one, that he's going to be worshipped above everything else, is it gives us something to fall back on when we fail. Because there will be times, if it hasn't already, where you do something that you massively regret, where you betray something, where you lie to something, where you cheat on someone or something, where you do that thing that you swore you would never do again, and your perception, your ability, your performance of who you are falls completely on its face. And if you are the authority, if you are the God in your own life, then you've got nowhere else to go. But what happens when we honor God above everything, when we trust God and worship God above everything, is there is not a depth that we will encounter. There is not a low that is so low. There is not a deed that's so bad that God can't restore us from, that God can't forgive us for, that God can't help us put back the pieces. And that starts by making God number one in our lives. He says, you cannot worship anything above me because it's not good for you. God's going into this situation as a loving father who who knows what's best for his kids. It's what I tell my son all the time. He does something I tell him not to do. He goes on timeout. He gets a little bit of punishment. And then we have a talk afterwards. And every single time I tell him the same phrase over and over again. And he's even learned it, but learned it slightly incorrectly. I'll tell him, you know what? I love you too much to let you break the rules. That's our line. So he'll tell his mom that or tell me that when he's putting us on fake timeout and giving us fake punishment. His mom, dad, I love you too much to let you break the rules. But that's what God's telling us. These are the rules. This is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to relate to each other. And the reason is, is because I love you too much to let you break the rules. That means you're not going to have anybody above me. What God's doing is he's inviting us into a non-performance-based life. He said, I'm not giving you a green light to make horrible decisions. I'm coming to you as a loving father knowing that as a human, you're going to do things that you don't like. You're going to become part of a person that you don't like. 
And what God says is I'm going to even reach into that in the parts where you feel like you've absolutely failed. And I'm going to show you how strong my love for you is even then. And I'm going to make you more like me coming out of it. You're going to put me as God and there are going to be things in your life that have to change. But it's going to be changed for the best. It's not about performance. It's about relationship. God's calling us into that. This week as I've been looking at this, uh, I've been reminded that, that I'd make a terrible God. I'd make an absolutely terrible God. And the reason is, is because as God is calling us into relationship and not performance, there are a lot of things in, in his way of relating to us that change. I think if, if I was God, I'd wake up in the morning, open my phone, look at Twitter, and just like wait for the embarrassment to come, okay? Because who's the Christian who's going to say the dumb thing? Who's the leader who's going to fail? Who's the person who's going to say, God told me this? And I'm like, I never had that conversation with you. But what God does is he sees his people like us have a bad day. He sees us fail. He sees us do things that we would never admit to and never want to claim as our own, that this is actually what happens in our lives. And instead of saying, oh my gosh, you're an embarrassment, this is not the way that we do things. He says, okay, I want you to come back to me. I want to rebuild you. I want to teach you a new way to live. And this means that we're not going to run to things anymore, which is the next point. He says, I am who I am. And then he says, I can't be replaced with stuff. There are two things that this comes down to. Again, one of them is our performance. So my daughter, Ellie, uh, she turned eight this week. We've got a picture of her because it's always good to put cute pictures on stage. Uh, and this has been a bad week for me as a dad because I, I expect my nine-year-old, my eight-year-old, and my three-year-old to act like a 36-year-old. And so when they don't do things that I want them to do, I'm like, man, you're, you're making us look bad. You're making the family look bad. No, that's a nine-year-old, it's an eight-year-old, and a three-year-old. Freaking out makes the family look bad, Dad. A nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a three-year-old being a nine, eight, and three doesn't make anybody look bad. I think one of the temptations for us as a Christian, when, when we look at the idea of putting things in front of God, the first thing that gets there is our own performance, is our own ability to say, hey, I'm a great person, and I'm going to show you how good I am by the things that I do that reveal that I'm a Christian, or the things that I don't do because I'm not like the other people out there. And God is saying, no, 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 don't put anything in front of me. If you can imagine it, don't put it in front of me. I'm everything to you. I need to be everything to you. And it needs to be revealed in everything, even in your performance. He says in, in Exodus 20, verse 4, it says, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. See, and even if that thing, that thing that you're holding up, that you're bowing down to, that you're treating as most important is your own reputation as somebody who loves God and follows God, it's still a fake God because you will let yourself down. You will fail to measure up at some point. And all of this relationship, everything that God asks of us isn't based on our performance. It's based on relationship with him and letting him run us and us bringing our weaknesses to him. So he says, don't try to replace me and my sacrifice for you, me leading you into your freedom with your ability to do stuff. Don't do that. 
Also, don't try to replace it with your possessions. All right, so in the story we talked about, everybody brings their earrings to Moses' vice president. He boils it down, forms it into a calf. No one's doing that anymore. All right, nobody's going to have this hunk of gold that's shaped into a calf, and they're going to bow down to it. They're not going to do that. But the way that we do this in 2017 America is we bow down to our bank account. We bow down to our TVs. We bow down to our car. We bow down to our video games. And we go to these things, and we say, man, I want you to give me worth, to give me meaning, to give me security, to give me peace in life. An idol today is, is, doesn't have to be a... a I think of a thing of gold shaped like an animal. It could be a good thing that becomes a God thing because that's always a bad thing. It's things that God creates that we take and instead of saying this is part of what God created, I can worship God and put this under that and subject this to my relationship with God. It's us taking what's been created and valuing that above the creator. Saying that I'm gonna go to my armchair, my TV, my video games, my money, my car, my reputation, the amount of followers I have, and, and let those be the things that make me valuable. And I give me my worth, and God says, no, 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 don't do that. He does it for two reasons. First is because it dishonors the relationship. When the Israelites took their gold, made it into a calf, and started bowing down to that, the calf doesn't have any power. But what they're doing is they're taking a thing that they made and replacing the God who led them and walked them out of their slavery. He's saying, you're trashing our relationship. This isn't how we do things. What we're also doing is we're trashing ourselves. God didn't create us to be run by things and to, be, to receive all of our value from things. He created us to receive that from him and him alone because anything else is gonna leave us empty. So you can't replace me with stuff. What he does instead is he, he gives us reasons and ways to use the stuff in our lives surrendered to him and given back to him. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. Thirdly, he says about, his, about uh, this in verse 7, he says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. And what he's saying is, is I don't belong where I don't belong. Right? If, if God is going to be God, number one, supreme control of everything in our lives, that we're going to be really conscious about the things that we bring him into. He's saying this to, to people that he just walked out of their slavery. And so we've understood this idea of not using the Lord's name in vain or misusing it. Uh, and within the church, like the way that I was looking at it going into this week is just don't say things like, oh my God. Because God is holy and he is our savior and to misuse his name just to, to show exclamation about something, that's cheapening who God is. But it's beyond that. He's saying don't try to use God also as a front for what's going on in your own life. If there's an area that you're struggling with, don't say, well, God is tempting me. No, God doesn't tempt anybody. Just say, I'm not good at this right now. Say, this is something that I need to give over to God more fully and let him walk me through it. He's saying, I don't belong where I don't belong. God is our savior. God is our freedom. God is the one who takes us from slaves and brings us into relationship with sons and daughters. And to say things like, oh my God, cheapens that. I think this is part of how we, we engage in the rules of our relationship. And, and you can think, well, that, that's petty. That, that's taking a one really small thing and just saying it's bad. I mean, it doesn't really matter. And there's so many other things in the world that are wrong. Right. 
But part of following God is everywhere across the board saying, okay, where am I going to stop living and where is God going to start living through me, start living in me and my decisions to be more reflective of him as the person who's in charge of me. That's how it is in every relationship. The longer you know someone, the more things you find out that they don't really like at all. Like you've ever done that? You, you're like in day one, date one, date two, and, and you ask someone, hey, do you want to do this? And like a month later, you find out that they are totally not like that at all. Okay, for Anna and me, like I, I used to eat all the time like sherbet ice cream, fruit ice cream. It was actually a good thing in my life. When I go to Cold Stone, some of you are going to think this is blasphemy, uh, but I still get banana ice cream with strawberries. Like that is my jam right there. And for her, that sounds like dog food uh, because she likes chocolate stuff. And so I thought, this is like way early on, uh, 2003, in our dating relationship. Hey, let's go for a walk tonight. I'll pick up some ice cream for us. We can share it and it'll be great. And so my theory for how we're going to do that is Cherry Garcia ice cream because it's got a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of fruit in there, and it's also got some chocolate in there. And so seriously, this is going to work out perfectly for us. And so she looked at it, and she said, you know what? You can enjoy that. I'll have water. <laughs> I'm like, but, but why? Like, it doesn't work. And she's like, that, that's not who I am. This is what God is saying here. For the record, like, we figured out the ice cream thing, and it took a lot less time than uh, the really fast conversations at church. Uh, now it's great, and I eat chocolate ice cream like a grown-up and don't eat little kid fruit ice cream most of the time. Sometimes I still have to have my uh, strawberries with banana, uh, but the rest of the time I eat like a grown-up. God's saying that this is how we're going to relate, is you're going re- to use my name, you're going to use my place as God, as Savior, as Jesus Christ, as more than just a swear word. There's going to be some worth behind it when you say it. The fourth thing he, he gives us, he says, I gave you freedom so that you can rest. Verse 8, this is God talking to former slaves, people who had no rights, people who had no choice of when to start working or when to stop working. He says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and your female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. What he's saying is I gave you here a choice of when to stop working and when to work. And so every day, every week, I want you to take a day and I want you to do no work as a day of celebrating the fact that you used to be slaves, you used to have no rights, but I came in and I broke your chains, I silenced your oppressors, and I walked you out into freedom. And so we do that once a week and we keep a Sabbath. If you're here and you have a pulse, it's good for you to take a break from things. One reason that is good for us to do that is because for us to stop work actually allows the earth to continue to spin. For me, I have one day a week where I try not to do anything church-related. That is my day uh, where I am for my family. That is my dead day, as I like to call it. If you say I want to meet with you on this day, I will say, no, that is my dead day. Let's pick one of the other six days and we'll meet then. And you know what happens? The church continues to function. It's amazing. People continue to volunteer and serve and, and find joy in this place. And I can take a day off and have a day where I don't do anything for church. And in your place of business, in your life, it's the same way. God built us to have to have a Sabbath, to have to have a place where we can take one day a week and we can exhale. And the world continues to spend. And your business continues 
to make it at the end of the month and the city continues to flourish and all those areas where we feel like, you know what, I have to keep doing this, I have to keep doing that. God says, you know what, I'm gonna keep it going even if you don't. He's reminding us that we need a Sabbath. And all of this goes back to the fact of remembering that God is the one who's God and that I'm not. And when my dead day comes, I can be dead. And the world continues to function. That, that my ability to hold everything together is a fake thing in my head. What God says is that as you think you hold everything together, I actually do hold everything together. And I've created you to enjoy rest, to crave rest, to need rest. And so as he says this to the Israelites, people who used to be slaves, he's reminding them, hey, you used to be having no rights, used to have no freedom, used to have nothing at all, but instead I came in and I led you out of it. I walked you out of it. So that in me, you have everything that you need. I am your God. That means you can't replace me with anything. That means you can't put me where I don't belong. And you can't outwork me because you need to rest. And for all of us, in Jesus, God sends us the fulfillment of the law and the way to a relationship with God. So for all these things of God saying, don't have any gods before me, don't make idols, Don't take my name in vain and, uh, and take a Sabbath, take a, take a break one day a week. He's telling us that I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to mess this stuff up. I know that there's going to be a point in your life where your ability stops and you start doing things you regret. And what I'm going to do for you, this is God saying, is I'm going to send Jesus into your life to stop the performance cycle and to bring you into a relationship. And that's what God's calling us to today. As we look at these commands, it's not a checklist for us to check our lives off and say, you know what, I got four out of four today. I am awesome. But to remind us of the fact who for his whole life, Jesus kept the law perfectly. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the law so that we don't have to be. God's not saying I give you license now to go out and do whatever you want, but I give you license now to surrender your life completely at the feet of the person who did it all completely right. We do that by saying yes to Jesus for the first time, by asking him to come into our life, to save us from ourselves, to save us from sin, and to lead us forever from the inside of us to the outside of us. And he also does it to call us once again every day back into relationship with him. Because not a single one of us are here to perform for God. We're here to surrender our lives as sons and daughters to the God who gave his life for us that we're not here to look good for anybody else, that we're not here uh, as a competition to see who's the most holy, but to live our lives in complete submission to the one that we all know is most holy forever, and that's Jesus. That's God who loves us, that's God who lays down his life for us to have a relationship with him and who reminds us that this isn't about following commands, it's about following Jesus who fulfilled it all perfectly. Which means that, yeah, we're going to make decisions and cut things out of our lives to bring things into, us, into, a li- into our lives that God has for us. But we're not doing it because we're great. We're doing it because Jesus is great. And because he wants our worship. He wants our ability. He wants ourselves surrendered to him, even if we're bringing him something that's broken and saying, okay, God, it's a mess, but I'm trusting you to run it. I'm trusting you to fix it. I'm trusting you to make it what you want it to be. That's who our God is. That's what God wants. He doesn't want performance from us. He wants relationship. And for that to completely change us and drive us to be the men and women that God created us to be. Let's stand and pray.
Jesus, I thank you that you came for us. I thank you that you are our freedom. I thank you that at some point we are going to break every single command that you give us. That there's going to be a point where we never measure up. And at that moment, God, you're there to pick us up. You're there to forgive us. You're there to give us uh, a new will and new ability and a new heart and a new tenacity to follow you, to obey you, to follow the rules for the relationship that you give us. I want to say today, if you've never made the decision to ask Jesus in your life to forgive you of your sins, to make you into a new person from the inside of you to the outside of you, I want to give you that chance today. And you're not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with every other Jesus follower in here that our sin personally was so bad that it took Jesus dying on the cross to bring us in relationship with God. And so if that's you, I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, if you've never made the decision to ask Jesus into your life, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, somebody's going to lead you through a prayer to do exactly that. So one, God loves you. God's always loved you. He's never stopped. And today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, where we push God away and say, I'm doing this my way. That's called sin. And Jesus came to free us from sin, to pay the penalty for our sin that we could never pay. And three, today's your day to say yes to Jesus, to ask him to come into your life, to ask him to forgive you of your sin. So is there anyone like that here today where today's your day to say yes? Just look at me and raise your hand. Someone's gonna pray with you as we close today. Is there anyone like that here? All right, as we close today, I, I wanna call us to, to a response today. I wanna call us uh, to lay down our performance and lay down our possessions uh, before God. So you know what, God, I'm done living to make myself look good. I'm ready to live in a way that makes you look good because I know that on my own, I'm not good. We're laying that down here. And if you're a parent here, that means that your example for your kids uh, is something that is something that God's in charge of. And even when you fail, you have an opportunity to tell your kids, hey, this is, this is what repentance looks like. This is what it is to fail, admit it to God, and then change. And so as parents today, I'm calling us forward to say, man, I'm done performing. I'm ready to relate to God and ready to let my kids see it. And if you're here also and you look at, at putting something in front of God, one of your possessions, and, and something's clicking in your head, you're like, man, that is completely me. Come forward and say, okay, God, I'm ready for you to take this out of my life. Or just put it under you. I don't want it to be over you anymore. I want it to be under you because I want you to be most important in my life. These are dangerous prayers, but it's putting God in front of everything else in our life and letting him be in control over everything. He loves us and he wants to work in us. Let's respond.